Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Samuel chapter 16 from the World English Bible. When David was a little past the top, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, and one hundred clusters of raisins, and one hundred summer fruits, and a container of wine. The king said to Ziba, What do you mean by these? Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that those who are faint in the wilderness may drink. The king said, Where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore me the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. Ziba said, I bow down. Let me find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. When King David came to Bahurim, behold, a man of the family of Saul's house came out, whose name was Shimei, the son of Girah. He came out and cursed as he came. He cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Shimei said when he cursed, Be gone, be gone, you man of blood and wicked fellow. Yahweh has returned on you all the blood of Saul's house, in whose place you have reigned. Yahweh has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. Behold, you are caught by your own mischief, because you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. The king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? Because he curses and because Yahweh has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son who came out of my bowels seeks my life. How much more this Benjamite now? Leave him alone and let him curse, for Yahweh has invited him. It may be that Yahweh will look on the wrong done to me, and that Yahweh will repay me good for the cursing of me today. So David and his men went by the way, and Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and threw dust. The king and all the people who were with him came, weary, and he refreshed himself there. Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. When Hushai the archite, David's friend, had come to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your kindness to your friend? Why didn't you go with your friend? Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whomever Yahweh and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, I will be his, and I will stay with him. Again, whom should I serve? Shouldn't I serve in the presence of his son? As I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence. 
Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel what we shall do. Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines that he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they spread a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The counsel of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if a man inquired at the inner sanctuary of God. All the counsel of Ahithophel both was like this with David and with Absalom. That's the end of chapter 16. This chapter lends itself to discussing it by character. So let's start with Ziba. We first heard about him in 2 Samuel chapter 9 because he was one of Saul's servants that was brought to David's attention and called to ask about living descendants of Saul, and then he was given charge over Mephibosheth's care. Here we get one story, Ziba's story of what happened, but later in chapter 19, we will get Mephibosheth's story, which really will make it sound like Ziba is lying and conniving here. And then honestly, even in verse 2, it sounds like David is originally suspicious, but then he makes a severe judgment without investigating further. Um, He should have known better. Places like Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, talk about two or three witnesses in matters like this. Then we have Shimei. And what's interesting is half of his accusation is true. Even God will not let David build the temple because he has shed blood. He's been a man of war. And that's mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 3. However, David did not kill Saul or his family. And Shimei seems to lack wisdom or is ignorant if he thinks Absalom is going to be an improvement. But David does seem to be taking the approach of Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 through 22 here, where it talks about how to know whether a man is a false prophet or not. Then we have Abishai, uh, as David says, those sons of Zariah, who are a continuing problem of killing beyond the bounds of God's directed justice. They're loyal, but they are out of control. And then we have David. And he is not seeking revenge. He is not bloodthirsty, as the sons of Zariah seem to be. And he's not killing indiscriminately, except for his murder of Uriah, which was, yes, very important, but he was repentant and God forgave him. Um, And the reaction here to Shimei seems like evidence that David does have a better perspective. And again, comparing him to Saul, who was killing people left and right for looking at him wrong. And then in verse 14, it says that David still found a time and a place to refresh himself in spite of Shimei. And then we have Absalom. Absalom believes Hushai has betrayed David, maybe because it seems natural to Absalom. That's what he's doing. Absalom has no loyalty and he operates in extreme wicked selfishness. I do want to take you on a backflash for just a moment to 2 Samuel 13, verse 38, because when I was doing some reading, to study this chapter, uh, a page I read, and I don't remember which one it was, made me look up 2 Samuel 3, 3 again and realize how those two places connect because Absalom fled to Geshur, and that's where his mother was from, Maacah, who was the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. So back to this chapter and the very horrible story of Absalom raping his father's concubines. Now, if you recall in 2 Samuel 12, Yahweh says he will raise up evil against you out of your own house. Now, we know from all of scripture 
that God is not the source or the author of moral evil, but he does use evil men as instruments of justice. He does this later when he lets other ungodly nations conquer the then ungodly Israel and Judah. The instance in this chapter is just more on a one-to-one level. God is not causing Absalom's wickedness, but he is allowing it. This is a difficult concept, but when we admit we have all done morally wrong things, even those with their own non-biblical subjective standards have to admit they don't even keep their own moral standards, even though they may try to make excuses or rationalize afterwards. So when we admit that to eradicate evil, God would have to obliterate us all, we can see this as the long-suffering patience it is, and also that he keeps giving people chances to turn from their wickedness. You can't logically complain that he gives you a choice between good and evil, because this would mean that there would be no you as a human without a choice to love. Because that's what's really happening. When people don't choose love, which is the core of God's being, and how he offers to relate to us, you get evil in the sense of moral wickedness, which leads to pain and suffering, which leads to death. Are you seeing a pattern here? So going back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, where God says he will raise up evil, I think we covered that. But what about the part after that where it says, I will take your wives, and then he will lie with them? Well, Absalom is making the choice to do the wicked thing, but God knows it will happen. Does God not care about those women? Of course he does. But they too, as we all do, have to choose to trust God to give them strength and heal their hearts when others do wickedness against them. Which of us also has not had wrong things done to us? And then at the end of this verse in chapter 12, where it says, I will do these things openly, he will let it all be very public. I wondered if David forgot this part of the prophecy when he left those 10 concubines there. It was five or six years ago for him, even though it's just a couple of chapters ago for us. We could just flip back the pages and look. Maybe he thought they were safe in their own home. But let's talk about Ahithophel. Why would he suggest such a thing? This is one of the places that strongly suggests that he was Bathsheba's grandfather and thinking of what David had done after seeing Bathsheba on the roof. His counsel for Absalom to do this horrible thing was going to be a definitive statement or act of rebellion and give a sense of no going back. We have to fight to the death now. If Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather, we see that the root of bitterness and revenge multiplies evil and pain. Did he not have a thought for those 10 women? They should have been worth just as much as Bathsheba as individuals. Then regarding the turn of phrase that Ahithophel was as if a man inquired at the inner sanctum of God, um, this is an idiom explaining why both Absalom and David listened to him. They viewed him as very wise. But wise and good are not always the same, as Solomon will also demonstrate later. On an administrative note, I wanted to let you know that we're having a big wedding come up here in the next uh, month. And since I'm sewing the wedding dress and it's happening at our property, I might miss a couple of episodes. But keep tuning in because I'll be back, even if I miss one or two here and there. Thanks for listening. See you next time. 
That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.